that Scott Moneyhun is going to be speaking Woo! with us today. So everyone, please welcome Scott Moneyhun. Okay, because the lights are Oh, there we go. Whoa, power. Um, gosh, I got a couple things I need to say before I get started here. The first one is don't go. To, don't, because it'll, it'll wreck you. It will. Listen, I was excited to come up here and speak. After that, I was like, oh, I don't want to speak. I want to go back in there. So I wonder if we could do this. Could we all get up and let's walk across the hall into Narnia? Because, listen, that's the real deal. That's what it's all about. And, and uh, so I'm like, as excited as I was to get up here and speak, really, really anticlimactic. For me, anyways, it was really good. Um, a couple of reasons. I woke up um, this morning uh, singing. You know, have you all done that? Sometimes you wake up singing really weird things. Like Abba or something, you know, Dancing Queen, or and you're just like, what am I doing? Like, why, and you know, you're like, you want to get that out of your mouth because it's like, why, why am I singing? But I, <laughs> I woke up this morning, and the first thing that just came to my mind and started coming out of my mouth was, I'll raise a hallelujah. And I was just like, whoa! And I just couldn't stop. And I'm brushing my teeth, raising a hallelujah, and it was just in my heart and in my mind. So we're over there, and we're just worshiping, and it's so good. And then that starts. And that starts playing. Yeah, it was just this craving in my heart to want to sing that corporately with a bunch of people um, because it had been in my mouth. And my, um, wow, I've got a lot to say, and I promise not to keep you any more than three or four hours. We'll be, we'll be out of here in time for dinner. No, it's... It's, you know, you're not going to win. You can ask my students. Um, but there's a couple of really important things that God has, has laid on my um, uh, I just want to pray real quick. Father, we thank you for this time. This is your time. It's, it's appointed and it's anointed. It's time that you have set aside for the feeding of your flock, Lord God. So we ask all of us, all of us would, would have open hearts, open minds, and that we're quick to receive what, and that it will challenge us, it will also comfort us, and it will also cause us to grow. All right. Amen. I thank you for that, God. All right. Uh, here's how I want to start off, and this is, was not my original plan, but along with waking up singing, I woke up with this idea. Um, I want to share real quick um, a little bit about Plato. Okay? I'm not talking about the Play-Doh I'm talking about the Greek philosopher about 400 B.C. Um, Plato's very interesting, and before you tune out um, with this really, really, really quick brief lesson, just, just hear me out for a second. Um, there is a thing known as common grace, and the Lord reaches, and he is Lord of this entire universe, and he is Lord of the saved and the unsaved, and God works, and God orchestrates. And even though sinful man or lost man thinks that they're autonomous and that they're the captain of their own soul, and that's nonsense. They're not. At any rate, um, Socrates, Plato's 
teacher, believed a couple of neat things too. First of all, he started to speak and preach and teach that maybe there isn't a pantheon of gods, that maybe there is one true real God. So God, Jimmy said this earlier, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. Well, that fullness of time included the Greek culture, the Roman roads and infrastructure, the Pax Romanus, the the peace of Rome that reigned at that time. And so part of that was this Greek thought that starts to be honed and shaped in, in a very sovereign, unique way. So we then come to Plato, the student of Socrates. And Plato, really interesting. Um, uh, if you've ever read The Republic, okay, that's the magnum opus, that's the great creative work of Plato. He talks about something known as the idea or the form. And what that is, is Plato believed, and this is really weird, he believed that everything we see in front of us is temporal and not real. And he believed that there is a reality that we can't see. That is our Christian worldview. Okay, we know that everything that's before us is temporal, and the the reason it's not real is because it's going to pass away. See, that's what real is, and that's what unreal. Now, I I spoke a little bit about this a couple months ago on Saturday night, that God has really been pressing on me this phrase. He said, feast on truth. And so that started to work in me, what is truth? Well, truth is what's real. And what's real is all that we can't see. So at any rate, Plato believed that there is the form or the idea, where we get the word ideal, there's the perfect, and everything else that we actually see is just a representative, it's a symbol, it's a shadow of the real, what we can't see. All you got to do is look in Hebrews, and it talks about how Christ was that real lamb who didn't go into a temple made by men, but went into the real temple and offered up his blood. See, this is why uh, uh, God was so precise with Moses when he told him to build the tabernacle. He said, because you're building a replica, a copy, a shadow of the real thing. So the point I really want to get across is let's, let's have in our mind this idea, this construct that what is in this world is a closed system and it's temporal and it's not real. And everything that within this system, no matter how grand or good it may seem, is flawed. It's passing. And I want to include in that religion, okay? So just just stay with me. So let me go a little bit further with Plato. Plato illustrated this belief about the real, the form, and then the shadow, the image. Who's ever heard of Plato's cave? Okay. So Plato uh, illustrated this idea about the real and the unreal by creating this imagery of a cave. And in this cave, there are men chained up. They're seated and they're chained and they're looking at a wall. That's it. That's all they see is a wall. Behind them is a fire. 
And between their backs and this fire, there is somebody passing by with images of things. And so those, ima- those, those things are casting shadows on the wall. And so what their whole entire existence is, is looking at shadows and believing those to be the real things. Because if you're chained, and this is all obvious, it's hypothetical, but if, if it, it's theoretical. If you're chained, you're just looking at this wall of shadows, and that becomes your reality. And Plato said, if ever somebody from outside that system, that closed system, could walk in, he could try to expose to them that what you're seeing is merely images. It's not real. has no substance. It's only a shadow. And more than likely, that person who came in to that system would be branded a heretic and killed. Pretty amazing. That's 400 B.C., how God works and uses that chain of thought. So what I want to talk about, where I'd like to begin by finding my glasses is a great place. You don't need to turn here yet. We're going to go to some scripture. But this is Titus 3, 4, and 6. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, way back a long time ago, I was a baby Christian. And when I got saved, it was made very clear to me It was implied and certainly inferred by me that you are saved by grace. Nothing that you can do could save you out of that pit, out of your uh, lostness, out of your hell-bound path. And that's regardless of whether you were doing drugs and partying and wild and knocking off liquor stores. Anybody outside of Christ, is doomed. You're lost, and you are going to hell. You need the blood of Christ to save you. But what was also communicated to me, maybe not quite so emphatically or uh, uh, articulated quite so well, was the idea of, you are saved by grace, but you are kept by your good behavior. And it's so subtle, and it's so tiny, these little hints and these clues that you get sucked in and you get drawn in to this belief that, oh yes, I'm saved by grace and now that I'm saved and I'm translated into this new kingdom, I better behave and I better be good and I better do good works. And so believe me, I set to it because for one thing, There's a fervor with a baby Christian. It's real. I mean, there is a fervor, and that's great. Unfortunately, all that fervor and excitement gets channeled into you becoming religious and working really hard to be good. Now, how many of you know that you can work really hard to be good for six or seven seconds, okay? You can You really can. Let me try it. There's about three. (laughs) 
That is so nonsensical. But the devil is, is really good. Now, I love screw tape letters, and if you've never read it, I highly recommend it. Uh, there, there's a point where, where Nephew Wormwood loses his patient, means he got saved. And he said, well, okay, okay, it's not the worst thing that can happen. Yeah, he's saved, but now you can render him ineffective for the kingdom. Okay? Get him caught up in a treadmill of religious duty and acts, and you will just snuff the life out of him. Okay? So I worked really hard for, and generally Christians can do this for a couple of years, baby Christians, because they got a lot more energy than I have right now. You know, I could have, I if it happened today, I'd probably go, okay, 10 minutes in, I go, there's got to be a better way. This ain't working. But you can kid yourself when you're young, and you can pretend, okay, I'm going to be really, really good, and I'm going to do this. And, 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 and your intentions are great, but pretty soon, after a couple of years, those great intentions of being good turn really crusty and religious. And all of a sudden, good behavior is, how often? Every time the doors are open. Now, I was, uh, I'm not going to name names, okay, Assemblies of God. I'm not going to say what church or denomination it was. But it was all about you're there every time the doors are open. And, and so if, if you happen to miss, like you, you, on the way to church, you had appendicitis and it ruptured and you had to go to the emergency room, and you missed Sunday morning. But you were there for Sunday night, you know, with your, with your little IV and that. And you roll in and... and, and First thing, somebody come up to you and go, we missed you this morning. Now, now you hear those words and they sound harmless. It sounds like we really care about you. We like you and we're loved. That's not what they mean when they say that. Okay? It's you are not good like me. And I hated missing because I knew somebody was going to come up and say, we missed you. And what I really liked was being there so when somebody had missed, I could go up to him and say, we missed you. <laughs> That's just so gross. It's so ugly. And so you, you, you hit this point, and, and, and everybody does. You hit this point after a couple of years, you recognize, you know, I think I'm being good, but I just spent a little time in the presence of God and I'm not being good. I'm not doing anything good. And I'm trying so hard. And all I am is tired and frustrated. And I'm starting to get a little angry at God. This is the most dangerous part of this whole um, uh, cycle. Is you start to resent God because you're just not enjoying this abundant life? Well, of course not. Because you're not drawing from him. You're trying to behave and be good. Now, there's... Um, so I'm on a crusade. And, and I will spend the rest of my life on this crusade of attacking religion wherever it pops up and rears its ugly head. And most likely in me. Because knowing these things... I still see it arise up in me. This spirit, and, and it's a pharisaical spirit. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's this idea of we depending on our own goodness and our own works to walk up. So 
I'm in good company, though, because Paul, the Apostle Paul, was all about that. Now, I've told you, I've, I've mentioned this before. The book of Galatians is my favorite. It was known, it's, it's, a, it's a condensed version of Romans. And it, it was said it was the hammer of Luther during the Reformation. And we're going to get into that in just a minute. But before I do, I want to read in the book of Colossians. Because I see, um, what did I do with my, um, In Colossians, I see traces of what was happening in uh, the church at Galatia. So real quick, uh, probably spend quite a bit of time here because I'm really interested in uh, chapter 2. That's probably where we're going to camp out for a little bit. All right, a little background. Colossae is in Asia Minor. It was um, uh, a region in the, uh, it was a city there in the Lycus Valley. And this is an area or region where Paul had spent quite a bit of time uh, in Ephesus for three years during his third missionary journey. And he had never been to Colossae. He'd never preached there, but he had uh, preached in that area. And people from all around would come to hear Paul and then go back to their towns and then share, spread, preach the gospel, and plant churches. Epaphras is one of those people that heard Paul preach while he was in Ephesus and then took it to Colossae and started a church there. And so uh, this would probably be, and I I just like dates, it helps me set things in order, but it would probably be around 54 to 57 A.D. The letter itself was written about 60 A.D. So probably about three, four years after Epaphras had heard Paul and then gone over to Colossae and started uh, this, this church. The book is written more than likely from prison. It was Paul's first arrest. It was in Rome. Now, this is the good arrest. This is the good prison. He's, he's basically under house arrest, and he, he gets to have visitors, and he's really, really promoting, propagating, and spreading the gospel and lots of teaching. It's not the second one, which is a little bit different. So what we have is we have Epaphras comes to Rome, to visit Paul and share with him what's going wrong in this brand new church in Colossae. And so Paul listens to Epaphras, and he takes it all in, and then he says, okay, and he starts to pen this letter, where he has a scribe pen the letter as he dictates it. So that is the setting for this. Now, it's a young church, and, and Paul is very quick to address the problems here. We don't know exactly, we know there's heresy, we don't know exactly the nature of it, but we can guess by listening to Paul's response. So we read, uh, uh, starting really in the second chapter, we read and we hear some of the things that Paul is addressing, and it kind of gives us insight to, oh, this is what Epaphras must have come and reported to Paul was going on. Um, there's about three things that I pull out here in this uh, uh, second chapter. So I'm just going to start reading. We'll go through it, and we'll stop and talk about each one and what possible uh, heresy is happening and taking place. All right. Um, I'm going to start just at the beginning, verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea. That is also in the Lycus Valley, not far from Colossae. Um, 
and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, first off, what we probably see happening at Colossae is the very beginning or the precursor to the Gnostics. The Gnostics don't really make an imprint till the second century. So this isn't full-blown Gnosticism. Gnostic is just the Greek for knowledge, to know. And what the Gnostics were, and many heresies have a thread of Gnosticism in them. And, and this idea or this, this germination of this brand new idea that's going to be very detrimental over the next 100, 200, 2,000 years is this idea of Gnosticism, a belief that there is secret, hidden mysteries that only the elite and the initiated and the special could understand. Now, I'm not going to name any names with that Mormon church. I I won't, because I'm not going to offend anybody. But this is exactly what we have in organizations, is this idea, as you achieve, you get a secret decoder ring. And as you work your way up to the 33rd level, Mason, you are going to get, see, I'm not offending anybody because I'm not going to name names. As you work your way up the ladder, you get deeper and deeper to the inner circle. And this is heresy. This is garbage. Paul blows that out of the water right away by saying, all the mysteries that you're talking about are hidden. And to the baby infant, brand new, five-second-old believer, they are being... And you have access to those not because you've achieved some level of religiosity or knowledge. You get it because you're His and it's His desire to make known to you the riches. So, so, so that's part of it. And Paul is diffusing that right away. So that's the first indication we know is the the uh, early form of Gnosticism that is creeping in to this, to this body, really a fresh young body of believers, four years old. Um, Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Now, let's move on to six. Now, this is a mouthful. This is a ton of theology, and I want to get back to this when we wrap it up. But we're just going to go through it real quick and and just, just hold on to this. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. I'm back to that closed system. The closed system is broken. And there has to be interaction 
with something outside of the system for it to be rectified. And so all the things that man can dream up and create and make are not going to fix the problem. Religion is earthbound. It was created by man. And when I talk about religion, I'm talking about the myriad of ways that man is trying to achieve heaven. And we create gods in our own image. And all we do is create flawed gods and bring them down to our level. What Christ has done has come to lift us up to his level by becoming like Jesus. Now, check this out yourself. Jesus never was ugly or opposed anyone except the religious. And it wasn't even that he was, didn't like the people who were religious. He didn't like what they were doing because religion is the only enemy because it's man finding sufficiency in himself. When you find or you believe the lie that you are sufficient in yourself, it will keep you from the cross. It'll keep you from walking in Christ because you believe you can do it on your own. Now, there's something about that that appeals to the fallenness of man. It's pride. We want to... And even those that get, come in and get saved, it's like I was saying earlier, there's a sense of, okay, thank you, Jesus, you lifted me up, now I can walk, I got this, I can do this on my own. <laughs> no, no, you can't. And Paul says this in Colossians, very subtle, he says it much more firm in my book, Galatians, about how you started, and it's so scary, and it's so deadly, that we come to Christ broken, he receives us, we're saved, and we somehow believe we can... 37 years of... I failed. Um, trust an old guy. That's what I tell my students. Trust me, guys. I've been around the blocks, and I've tried every wrong way there is. I, I love what Winston Churchill had, had quote that said, um, you can always count on Americans to do the right thing after that. Uh, now... Um, we continue on uh, in, in verse 9. Let me read 8 again real quick. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. Now, here is another indication of the lies that have been spread or um, perpetrated on the, the, the church at Colossae and in that whole region. There was a, um, they're not sure exactly even if it has a name, but the idea was this principle, and we see this in a lot of different heresies, this belief that Christ, oh, well, let me say this real quick. Every cult and every heresy is basically you can get to the bottom of it by finding out what do they say about Jesus. That's the root. Your you, 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 misunderstanding of who Christ is. The Arian, they believe that Christ wasn't human. Uh, and then you've got a Polyanism that believes he wasn't deity. You've got all these different uh, 
uh, heresies that rise up in the second century and continue on today that are just the same old lies rehashed over and over again. It's a misunderstanding of who Christ is. So this belief is probably rooted in the thought that they said Christ, yes, is an angelic being. He is part of this massive, complex hierarchy, bureaucracy of heavenly beings. And he's a link in the chain. He's part of this hierarchy, but he's part of it. And Paul's trying to say, no, 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 no. Everything in Christ is the fullness of the Godhead. Everything. Christ is the complete. He is not part of a system, but he is the fullness, the express nature of God. So you don't need to observe, and it's, it's, it says later in the chapter, this worship of angels, this worship of celestial beings. That's all junk. It's part of this fixed, closed system invented by man to find some other way than Christ. Now, the very next is real easy for us to decipher. Um, it says here, and you have been given fullness in Christ. In other words, he's saying you don't need those other things. You don't need to worship these other celestial beings. It's all in Jesus. In him, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with circumcision done by Christ. Okay, what we have here is very clear. We see this all throughout um, the New Testament, we see it all throughout Asia Minor and that region and in Greece, is this, the Judaizers. You've all heard of the Judaizers, right? They were a, a sect of believers who came into, supposedly came into Christ and said, yes, Jesus is the fulfillment, but before you can really walk in Christ, you've got to first become a Jew. So, you know, that's the natural, trans, uh, that's, that's, that's how things move along. You Jews are given the Messiah. So if you want the Messiah, you've got to become a Jew first. And a big part of that was circumcision, physical circumcision. And that has to happen, and then you can walk in the fullness of Christ. And Paul says, no, that's garbage. He said, no, God has torn down that wall between Jew and Gentile. And from it created one new man. He said, there is nothing profitable in going into a religion. Now, religions, as I said earlier, is earthbound. And it, 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 it is something that's going to pass away. It's made of man. With possibly one exception, Judaism. Okay, now here's the difference. Now, it's still earthbound. But Judaism was initiated by God as a way of creating signposts and indicators towards the Messiah. Okay, that's, all they, that's all it is. And Jesus came and said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came. So what that means is, He's completed it, and Judaism has accomplished what it was supposed to. It's a signpost. 
Now, let me go further and elaborate on that. The law handed down by God to Moses had a purpose. The purpose was not to make men clean. It was not to make them whole. It was not to restore them. It was to pave the way for what would make them whole. Something from outside the system will rip open the fabric of this universe and step in. Jesus Christ. The the law was merely a way to show man that he's dirty. You've been working, you're working in the coal mine, 16-hour days, and you come out of the coal mine, and, and you're tired, and you look in a mirror, and, it sees, and you're just so filthy dirty. You don't take the mirror off the wall and try to clean yourself with it. That is the law. It is something that we look into that shows us we have come up short. Christ, for lack of better way to finish that analogy. Now, The law was never intended, and Paul's very clear about that, emphatic in the book of Romans. He said, if the law could clean you, then the the cross is of no avail. It's no purpose. It's meaningless. But the law can't clean you. That's why there is the cross. That is a word to the Judaizers who believe both. That, yes, Christ is sufficient, but we still got to do all these things. Now, don't get me wrong. The law is perfect. There's nothing wrong with the law. The law is good, but we are not. So the law would never be sufficient. It can't. So this is a terrible analogy, but I'm going to give it to you anyways because I'm full of terrible analogies. I'm just thinking about um, Apollo 11, you know, 50th anniversary. Think about that big Saturn V. If you've ever been to Houston, to the Space Center, They've got it laying there in this warehouse on its side. It's the most amazing thing you've ever seen. Um, And and, and as this thing launches up into space, it's got these massive booster rockets um, on one of the stages. They're huge. They're like like 80 feet long, and these huge rockets of of solid fuel. Um, And they're designed to get that craft. You've got to get up to about 25,000 miles an hour to escape Earth's gravitational pull. It's called escape velocity. And so when that thing launches, it's going faster and faster, and then those boosters kick in, and it powers up through the atmosphere. By the time they get up through the atmosphere, um, now that ship is going to fly in space, and there's nothing to oppose it, um, and it's going to continue at that rate of speed, 25,000 miles an hour. So those booster rockets um, fall off. After they're spent... They fall off and they drop back to Earth. Now, at this point when those booster rockets fall off and drop back to Earth and land in the ocean, the cameras don't focus on the booster rockets that are now down in the bottom of the ocean, in the Indian Ocean, and say, look at it, isn't it amazing? They're down there among fish and look at there's coral down there and look what we found at the bottom of the ocean. It's, a, it's not the story. They were there to serve a purpose. Their purpose has been served And what we're looking at is the lunar module as it hurtles through space towards the goal. So the law has done its job, so to speak. It's it's made us frustrated, which is okay, because we can't do it. 
Some of us kid ourselves and say, oh, yeah, I've done all the law. I love the people that come to Jesus and says, have you obeyed all the law? Yeah, okay. And that's the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. You know that. Jesus says, okay, law said don't kill anybody. So you're all pretty good with that, right? You've all obeyed that one. Well, I say what it really means is you're not supposed to hate anybody or call your brother a fool. Uh, <laughs> what Jesus was trying to say is, look, look, you didn't fulfill the law. The, law's, the law did its po- purpose, though. It pointed out to you, or it should have, if you're, not, if you're honest with yourself, that you can't fulfill the law. You can't. Um, it's merely there to point out you're broken, and the law, which is perfect, is not going to be able to help you in your brokenness. All right. I want to continue on um, with, uh, let's, let's just pick up right here at 13 and in second Col- and Colossians 2. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Okay, the law stands opposed to you. It tells you you are not good enough. Unless you're lying to yourself. It clearly, clearly points out that you are under a curse. Paul says if you try to live by the law, you are under a curse. Cursed is everyone who is under the law. He says the law is opposed to you. Christ came, fulfilled the law, and then nailed it to the cross, and then triumphed over it. So this law that has convinced you, rightly so, that you can't be good, has now been fulfilled. And favorite scripture from 2 Corinthians said, Christ, who knew no sin, became sin. It doesn't say he took on our sin. It says he became sin. So that we could be good little boys and girls. So that we could be the righteousness of God. Listen, the moment you surrendered your heart to Christ, you have got to get out of the mind. That's not why Christ saved you. So you could try harder to be better. He saved you. We were set free for freedom's sake. And yet the devil, Uncle Screwtape, whispers in our ear, got to try harder now. Got to try harder. That's not good news. I can't believe the people, some of my students, I go, what do you think the gospel is? It's good news. If you're telling me I got to try harder now, I know I can't try harder. That's not good news. That frustrates me and makes me angry and scares me and makes me want to give up. The good news is you're righteous. You're the righteousness of God. Now, it's, it's so crazy because, like I say, I think it's, it's our human nature that we just always want to add something to our salvation and what's been done. And it's not that it's bad. It's that it's terrible and dangerous. It's not an option. Now, this is what I like. This is really what I was getting at right here in the whole uh, uh, chapter. Verse 16 
Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. We like as man, fallen man, and even sometimes regenerated man, we like those little duties and those little um, moments when we can be religious. And because it, it makes us esoteric, it makes us kind of like the Gnostics. We're in a special club. And we do this and we do that. And you don't, so you're not good like us. All of that is rubbish. The New Moon Festival, um, I believe it was called Arash Shamosh, and it was basically every new moon was marked as a new beginning. There is no moon. That's what the new moon is. There's no moon in the sky. And, and it was supposed to be this new beginning. And so there was this observance that the, the good Jews, all the real devout ones, would celebrate. And it was very important. And then the Sabbath day. This is such an amazing misunderstanding of the gospel mech about the Sabbath day and how we need to, a specific day of the Are you out of your mind? The Sabbath was a shadow. It was merely pointing out that there's coming a Sabbath rest fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now, there's two ways in which they're wrong. First of all, Jesus, I, I just love this picture of Christ walking through the, the wheat fields with his disciples and they're just plucking up grains and they're eating in, and the Pharisees are, and they, they've got their robes and their prayer shawls and their phylacteries across their head and they're going, harvest. And Jesus is like, oh, get off of it. You are completely oblivious to the heart of my Father. He did not create the Sabbath as another burden for you to bear. He created it as a way of refreshing. You do not know my Father. You have no idea what His intentions are. But aside from that, He also created it as a sign or as a shadow of things to come. Just read Hebrews. There's coming a Sabbath rest. And that's the whole point of this was to show you there's going to come a time just as God rested from His works on the seventh day, man will enter into this divine relationship where he rests from. That's what the Sabbath is about. And so people, and I won't name names, come on, that's garbage. That's not, well, that's just the way they do No, that's, I'm on a crusade. Guys. And it has to be pointed out. If, and, and, and those same people will talk about, you can't eat this. You can't. Are you out of your mind? Have you read the New Testament? When that sheet comes down in front of Peter, he, he's not well, he's speaking metaphorically that this is He's saying, grab yourself some calamari, wrap it in bacon. <laughs> it's all good. You're missing the point. Yes, it means, yes, the Italian band. Uh, you can go and, and witness to Cornelius because don't call uh, uh, unclean what I've called clean. Yes, the, this is for the Gentiles. But it also applies to the food. This idea of dietary laws that we've got to still maintain. 
I'm not talking about cults and other... I'm talking about in Christianity. There's people who believe that the relationship with Christ hinges upon... It goes back to... we got to be careful even in this place. I know I do. We allow religion to, to... You know? Every time you look at somebody, you know, praising and worshiping God and they're wearing a hat, that's religion. Oh, that... But then look at all those tattoos. That's religion. But the piercings, that's religion. It's about freedom. It's about liberty. I got some other things. I'm telling you, I'm... (laughs) In our pride, we want to create this little special club where we do all these right things and that. That's not what Christianity is. That's not how you were saved and that's not how you're going to walk it out. Religion is death. And the moment you start to grab hold of a little of it, you're going to have to take the whole thing. And it's going to lead you. Even if you're born again and you're sealed in Christ, period, you will not enjoy this life and you will not be productive for the kingdom. All right. Let me go back here real quick. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. That's that whole image of shadows. Religion is earthbound. It cannot remove us from our fallenness. At best, religion can be a road sign, a very crude road sign to point us At worst, it will damn us to hell. I think about this idea of they've been illuminated and they've been introduced to Christ and they've come in and now they're trying to go back to these weak and miserable, Paul in Galatians says, these weak and miserable principles that are earthly to try to achieve your salvation. It reminds me of um, how silly and nonsensical that is. It reminds me of... uh, you know, my wife and I and the daughter, my daughters, we love to travel and we go to national parks and Yosemite is one of our favorites. And so I've just got this picture, this image in my mind of we're driving eastbound across California and there's a big billboard. Yosemite, 27 miles, continue on. It's like, all right, big billboard, Yosemite. We drive on, we get to Yosemite and it's, it's there, just like the sign promised. And it's, it's amazing and there's El Capitan and, and, and there's Half Dome Rock and Yosemite Falls and the valley and Glacier Point. It's gorgeous and it's beautiful. And then it's like I got my wife and my daughters. We put them back in the car. We turn around. We go back to the sign. Wow. Isn't that sign amazing? It, it, it is just a road. It's, it's, it's a marker pointing you to the reality. That's not Yosemite. It's a shadow of what's to come. So religion, I don't care if we call it Christianity or Buddhism or Islam, whatever you want to call it, it will not save you and it will not complete you and walk you through the journey. Now, I just real quick want to jump down. Since you died with Christ, the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you... Do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. 
These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom and their self-imposed worship and their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. All right. See, I knew a lot of preachers and pastors 20, 30 years ago that would never preach a message like this because the idea became very scary. So you're telling, my, telling me that my congregation is free and they're not obligated to follow all these rules. Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. Then they're just going to be wild Indians. And, and I, I can remember people actually coming to me. Oh, you go to that church? Well, what, where's your list? I go, what do you mean list? What you can and can't do. And there's a lot of Christians that go, just give me a practical message how I can serve Christ. Tell me what I can and can't do. Ah, you've missed the whole point. You're going back to the road sign. You're looking at shadows. You've entered into a relationship. So you're saying, Scott, that we're not supposed to do good works? No, I'm saying the contrary. In Ephesians, Paul says, We are His workmanship created for good works. What I'm saying is, you can't do good works if you're trying to obey a bunch of rules and behave. The only good works that are ever going to emanate from you or me happen one way and one way only. Now we've got to... I had to get all that to get to where we're going. All right. Now here's the message. This is it. John 15, 5 through 8. You ready? Now I'm going to preach. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's showing yourself to be my disciple. We are created for good works. And there's only one way. We were not created for religion and rules. They will destroy us and make our Christian walk will be a stench, not only in God's nostrils, but in the world's. Because we wag our bony fingers we tell people, we're created to impact the only way that will get about religion that has to do with how do we look, how are we, and it comes down to, and there's no pride in that. There's just merely being in his presence. Is a, now, now, I'm not talking about, you know, we hear this word devotion, and what we really think in our mind is detention. Seventh, we think detention. When you enter in, you really will experience sweetness. Because he's not coming to judge you. He's not coming to crucify you. Really, you know, the thing that's so crazy is God really wants He really does. Oh, no, it's going to be religious. And he's going to tell me what i got to do and I can't do. Now, all that, is what has come, what has stepped into our world, has done away with all that. And now we are called that. And here's the best part. When you're in the presence, when you're in the presence of God and you, you're hanging out, you won't even know. The best works you will ever do, you will not even realize you did. 
They won't be things you've got to check off a list. I'm doing this. I'm praying this much. I'm reading this much. I'm, I'm, I'm witnessing this much. I'm saving these. The really good work because you've been in the presence of the king. I don't want anybody to leave here today feeling I've placed a burden on you. What I'm hoping, praying, is that I've been able to lift that off of you because religion is a burden. Jesus, he said it, not me. And that's what it's designed to be. It's designed to be, hey, you're not special because you did all these things and performed all these. You're special. You're special because you're mine. And you're going to do really special things. Not because you've observed all these new moon feasts. You're going to do amazing. So somebody said, you know, Scott, before you get up free, I can't keep it anymore. Religion needs to, we need to flush it out. And I don't mean we need to go attacking people who are religious. I mean, it needs to be abolished in us. In us. Every time it rears its ugly, slimy, greasy head, it needs to be lopped off. We need to be honest and say, God, I'm spending. Now, I want to do this. I want to pray. But I also want to make sure that the altars are open, that, that people who want to just shed a whole lot of stuff that's holding you back, and you're not sure. It's like I'm taking the training wheels off your bike, and you're, come on up. And, and let's pray. But I, Lord, we do thank you. We thank you that you have not saved us to put us back in the shackle of duty and obligation and religion. But you have set us so that we can dance in the wide open spaces and so that we can be in rich, meaningful, profound, restorative relationships. We started in the Spirit God, we know that we will continue to walk in the Spirit. We will not accomplish in the flesh what you have begun in the Spirit. And we reject that and rebuke that in the name of Jesus. I speak that over everybody. In Jesus' holy name, amen. 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 Thank you. Okay, prayer team leaders, come on up here. And we're going to dismiss in just a second. Um, come on up, and as I said before, I'll be up here because this is my favorite part of, of preaching. Um, if you want to come up uh, and pray for anything, anything, please do. Um, but if not, you are dismissed. Have an awesome week, and we'll see you all later. Amen. Amen.